Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. Haggai. This is the fifth of the series that I'm doing called Majoring on the Minors, the Minor Prophets. You know, you ever been watching the footy or rugby or whatever and there's a guy sitting on the bench and you go, I wish the coach had, you know, Give this young fellow a run. He, he's, he's, he's been not, not getting a shot, not getting a chance. He's just been sitting in, on there and never getting a chance to go. Well, you know, these minor prophets are a bit like that. They sit on the theological bench because nobody preaches from them. Uh, they, they don't. Uh, and I think, yeah, well, we're gonna, they're going to get a run for a while. And uh, we will see what we have. We've preached so far. We've looked at, Hag uh, looked at Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, who was the prophet who never preached. We've looked at Amos, the prophet who wasn't a prophet. We've looked at Micah, the prophet of the coming kingdom. We've looked at Nahum, the prophet of delayed judgment finally coming. So this is Haggai, the prophet of the temple, the prophet of the building. So, before we go any further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you might open our hearts and minds. Teach us, we pray, Lord, wondrous things from your word. Lord, give us a blessing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Haggai. Now, normally I, give, I try and give a little bit of a, a biography rundown of, of these guys. Who they were, when they you know, lived, where they came from. No, not going to this time. For a simple reason is we don't know. He's referred to as Haggai the prophet. Nothing else. Not the son of so-and-so. Or Haggai the prophet who came from this place. Nothing about him we know. Absolutely nothing. He started to preach, to, pro to prophesy, around right August 520 BC. He finished December 520 BC. August, September, October, November... Five months. That's it. That's all we have on him. Nothing more. But, you know, I, I don't think he'd mind. Don't think he'd particularly be worried about that. You know, he, if he was simply known as Haggai the prophet, who did what God called him to do and achieved what God sent him to do, He'd be happy with that, I guess. You know, maybe in time to come, if I'm remembered as Alan the teacher and they don't remember my parents or they don't remember where I lived, but they remember that I taught and that I taught faithfully, I'll take that. That's good. Amen. Don't, don't need anything more than that. He's mentioned in the book of Ezra. 
Okay? Now, let's just have a, have a quick look at that. The book of Ezra, chapter 5, verse 1. Ezra 5.1, Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judea and Jerusalem, in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Ezra 5.1. There you go. So if you're going through the book of Ezra, and you see this guy get a mention, you want you go, I wonder what he said. Well, look it up in the book of Haggai, because we've got it recorded exactly what he said in that story of, in, in Ezra. What's the situation here? Well, this this prophet, he's different to the other ones. Right? Because remember, the, the other prophets were talking on the other side of Babylon. They were warning Israel that judgment was coming. Well, judgment had come. Done. They'd been conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. They'd been dragged off to Babylon. Thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of them had died. The nation had been enslaved, deported. No, no one left in Israel except, they said, the, the basest of the people. They left a few peasants there to look after the agriculture there and, and that was it. Jerusalem, the walls knocked down, the city looted and pillaged, the temple destroyed. And 70 years go by. 70 years. And during the time of that 70 years, we have the stories of Esther. We have the story of Daniel. That's where those people fit in. And at the end of the 70 years, Darius shows up. Darius. And he says, if you people want to go back to Jerusalem, go. Somewhere between 40 and 50,000 people head up from Babylon and go back to Jerusalem with a purpose, with an aim to build again God's temple. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a way of understanding it that if you talk to a Jewish person, they will refer to the first and second temple. Okay? And in fact, they refer to the second temple period. You find that in, in books and scholarly works. Archaeology will refer to the second temple period. That runs from about 520 BC to 70 AD. That's the second temple period. Okay? The first temple period was Solomon's temple. Easy to understand when you, you get a little bit of a, a grip on this. Israel is not a nation at this point, it's not a country. It's a Babylonian province. 
It is ruled from Babylon and the local guy in charge is the Babylonian governor. He's not a, he, he may be royalty, but he serves at the whim and the behest of the emperor of Babylon. Okay, it's not an independent country we're talking about here. It's just a group of people who have gone back to their hometown to build a temple. Okay. You know how far it is from Babylon to Jerusalem? Well, someone does because they heard it this morning. <laughs> I would say around about 2,000 kilometers. Kilometers or miles? Ah, miles. Yeah. It's about 2,000 kilometers. How'd they get there? Did they hop on the Orient Express? Did they catch a bus? They walked. They walked 2,000 kilometers to get home. Now, when you read Ezra, you'll find that there was camels and donkeys and horses and asses and all that sort of stuff. You weren't riding them. They were carrying stuff. All the food you needed, all the stuff that was for the temple, all that sort of stuff. You walked. You would have probably worn out a couple of pairs of sandals if you were rich enough to afford sandals. Otherwise, you just walked. So uh, what, what I'm getting at here is these people had done a lot. They had put up with a lot. And now they are back in Jerusalem and they are going to build the temple. Yay! Good stuff. Isn't that good? Except something's gone wrong. Something has gone wrong here. We find in verse 3 of chapter 1 of Haggai, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. What had gone wrong? Well, the people had got discouraged. They got discouraged and they'd stopped building. They'd said there's so much to do. We have to, you know, build our own houses. I have to get my own business going. I've got to start my own farm again. I've got so much to do that I really don't have any time to work on the temple. And God says, consider your ways. Think about it. What did you come to Jerusalem to do? To build the temple. So what are you doing now? And it's, it's interesting... This thing here about sealed houses in, in verse 4, to dwell in sealed houses, that's like sealed as in having a ceiling. 
That word's only used six times in all of Scripture. Only six times. You see, most houses, the vast majority of houses, didn't have a ceiling. Didn't have a ceiling. They had a roof. But when you looked up, you didn't see a ceiling. You saw the bottom of the roof. Okay? Understand what we're looking at here? You looked up and what you saw was logs and straw that had been laid on top of that. And then the mud had been laid on top of that to stop the rain coming through. So when you looked up, what you saw was logs and straw. You didn't see a ceiling. You see, to put a ceiling in a house, you were getting pretty flash. This was not something ordinary people did. This was something rich people did. This was something fancy people did. And God's saying to them, guys, you're putting ceilings in your houses, but you're not repairing my house. Consider your ways. What he's talking about is priorities what is your priority here is it your house or is it my house and then he uses this this passage and oh when i look at it he says you've sown much and you bring in little you eat but you have not enough you drink but you are not filled with drink you put on clothes, but you're not warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it in a bag with holes. Sound familiar? I know a whole country full of people who feel like that. And it's right here. That's the way people feel. This is, the, this is just the way people feel today. They feel, you know, like, like the, the hamster in the little wheel. They're running harder and harder and they're not getting anywhere. And it's not because they're not trying. It's not because they're not working. It's not because they're not smart. It's because they have their priorities wrong. So God is saying to these people, step back and consider your priorities. What are your priorities? Do you say, I don't have time to read the Bible because I'm too busy. I would say you don't have time not to. Now, I like to cook, okay? If you take a chef, I mean a professional chef, and you you take a chicken in and say to them, here, quick as you can, cut up the chicken. What's the first thing the chef's going to do? He's going to sharpen his knife. Is he wasting time sharpening his knife? No, he's got his priorities straight. You do the preparation and then you can do the job properly. Christians today 
Their problem is they haven't done the preparation properly. And they wonder why it doesn't work. Have a look. Because this word, these words are echoing down through the centuries. From Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 31. Matthew 6.31 Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Christian, why do you feel like you're running in the spot and getting nowhere? Why? Because you've lost sight of your priorities. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, there's two things there. Two things. That's not the same thing. Christian, seek first the kingdom of God. If you're not a Christian, then the first thing you have to seek is his righteousness. Stop trying to get to heaven on your own righteousness, but seek the righteousness of God and then your place in his kingdom and all these things shall be added unto you. Remember he says, take no thought for the morrow. Concentrate on today. There's enough evil tomorrow in tomorrow that you'll have to deal with tomorrow that you don't need to worry about it today. Worry about today, today. What was the problem in Jerusalem? They'd lost their priorities. You know, they came from Babylon, did all that work, suffered all that stuff to build the temple, and then they'd stopped doing it. What does that sound like? Well... A little bit. Sounds like the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, when he's speaking to the church at Ephesus, in Revelation 2, 4, it says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Yeah. That's what they've done. They'd come to Jerusalem powered up, ready to go. And they got distracted by the things around them, by all the things they had to do. And they'd lost focus. They'd lost their priorities. God says, listen, consider your ways. Once you have got your priorities straight, then I'll start to look after you. 
But if your priorities aren't straight, don't expect God to take care of things. He says, go up in the mountain, get some wood and start building my house. Because, you know, you look for much and it came to little. Then when you got it home, I blew on it and it fell down. A bit like the three little pigs. They built their houses. They built up what they thought they wanted. And God said, no, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow it down. So, what did these people do? It's great. It's a really good, you know, sometimes you, you, you read a prophetic message and you just see that the people ignored it and they just didn't take any notice and you go, oh, you know, why did that guy bother? But here, it says in verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them, and the people did fear the Lord before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I'm with you, saith the Lord. Hey, how would that be as a message? You imagine you, you know, you're coming into the area where they, were, they clearly they had regular meetings there. You come in there, and and the Haggai has stood up a couple of weeks earlier. And he's told you off for missing your, your priorities. And you go, you know, he's right. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to start doing some work on the temple site. So they do. And a couple of weeks later, Haggai stands up and says, Great job! God's with you! Isn't that a nice thing to have happen? Isn't it a nice thing to have God's prophet stand up and say, Good job. That's what he says. I am with you, saith the Lord. Wow. And you're thinking, isn't it great to have a prophet who's saying nice things to, to the people? You know, we, we saw so many prophets who were complaining and saying, You're doing the wrong thing. And... Uh, it's so good that God's people are doing the right thing. Do you think that you could do the same thing? Do you think you could say, I'll consider my ways and I'll have a look and say, am I getting too caught up in the things of the world? Have I left my first love? Have I stopped looking at the things of God? And I've started looking at the things of the world too much. Now, I'll give you an example. Do you do a budget? You do a budget? That's a good idea to do budgets. They're good things. When do you take God's money out? At the end or at the start? What God's saying here is, take my bit out at the start and then pray to me and say, stretch it for whatever else is needed. Now, 
I'm going to tell you a little story. And uh, so, many, many, many years ago, I'm talking a long, long time ago, I was going to Bible college. And I used to travel by train. So I would get a weekly ticket. Okay? This was pre-Mikey days. And you would queue up each week and buy your weekly ticket. And you could get weekly tickets and monthly tickets and yearly tickets. I'd get a weekly. And Flinders Street Railway Station... And it's a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and I'm getting my ticket. And there's a queue of people getting their tickets from the ticket office. Right? They do. And every weekend, you do it on Sunday because the queues on Monday were so long, you'd, you'd miss your train. And I had, in one pocket, I had the money for my weekly ticket. And in the other pocket, I had a $5 note and a $2 note. That was because this was before coins. It was a $2 note. And this was what I had till my next lot of money came in. And it was enough. That tells you how long ago it was. <laughs> I had everything I needed. Everything was sweet. And I had $7 over. And I'm thinking, life's good. And in front of me was a couple. And when they tried to buy their tickets, they didn't have enough money. They were a couple of dollars short. And as clearly as you're hearing me, I could hear God saying to me, Pay, give them something to pay for their ticket. And I went, I can do this. So I put my hand in my pocket and I, yeah, $2, that'll cover it. And God said, no, give them the five. I said, Are you sure, Lord? They don't need the five. They need the two. No, give them the five. So I said, okay. To sit here buy your ticket. They were very grateful and I gave them a tract and I talked with them and off I went. For years, for years and years and years, I wondered why did God want me to give them the five and not the two? Did they have another need? Was there something that I was missing here? And finally, God let me know. And he said, it was nothing to do with them. It was everything to do with you. It wasn't what they needed. It was what you were willing to give. Were you willing to give the five and not the two? That's what the whole story was about. What was my priorities? A lot of people have to work out priorities. Someone else had to work out priorities too in the Bible, in the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings, chapter 17. 
First Kings chapter 17, verse 8. Elijah. Right? It's a story here about Elijah. And the word of the Lord came to him, verse 8, 1 Kings 17, Arise and get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and behold there and, and dwell there, and behold, I have commanded a widow woman to sustain thee. Actually, you know, Jesus talks about this, this very story in, in Matthew 15, he talks about it. And so he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, <coughs> behold, the widow woman was gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. I'll leave, I've got a message to my Bible college students. Asking a drink at a well? Yeah. How often did that occur? This was not something unusual. This was a standard thing you were a, a guy was entitled to do was if a woman was collecting water at a well, he would come up to her and ask her for a drink. He did it. Jacob did it. Abraham, Abraham, uh, not Abraham, Moses did it. Jesus did it. It was not, a, not an unusual request. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, she knew who this guy was. She didn't say, as the Lord my God liveth. She said, as the Lord thy God, prophet, lives. I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise, and behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but first make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it to me, and after make for thee and thy son. You know what this was? Leviticus chapter 2, the meal offering. A handful. A handful of meal was the meal offering. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and she did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. You know how long that fed him? You know how long it, that barrel of meal and that cruise of oil that's a little pot you know how big that cruise of oil is it's about this big a barrel we're not talking about a barrel we're talking about a barrel you know how long it fed them two years two years before it rained and not just Elijah not just the widow not just the widow's son and her house. Maybe you hadn't noticed that. That it wasn't just Elijah and the widow and the widow's son. All of her house was fed for two years. Why? Because she got her priorities right. 
God said to the people through Haggai, get your priorities right. And then we'll see things start to happen. Well, they start to build the house. In chapter 2. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by prophet Haggai. And in verse 3, he says something interesting. He says, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Now, there must have been some really, really old people there. Because remember, these were people who saw the first temple, Solomon's temple, before it was wrecked. Well, the captivity lasted 70 years. They had to have been old enough to make the trip up to Babylon the first time. So we're probably talking minimum of 10 then they've come back again. These people are 80 plus that we're talking about here. And he says, there's a few of you here who saw this house in its first glory. And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as nothing? In fact, in Ezra chapter 3 verse 12, it says when they began to build the, ha the house of God and people started to get celebrating, some of the old men wept because they remembered the former house, what it looked like under Solomon. It was one of the wonders of the world under Solomon. And they looked at it and they wept because this house was nothing. Nothing like it. If, if you want, you know, the description of Solomon's temple. It was cedar panelled from Lebanon. So you walked in and there was this waft of cedar oil as you came in. Then it was gold everywhere. There was ivory and gold and silver and precious stones. It was awesome. In the true sense of the word, all gone. But the people who remembered it looked at this new one and wept. And he says, don't worry. Because he says something very strange but very interesting here. Well, he says in verse 9, or rather in verse 8, uh, sorry, verse 7, keep going back one. Verse 7 of chapter 2. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. What, what's he getting on about? How can this second rate temple be more glorious than Solomon's? How can this B grade be better? The answer is in Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. <coughs> 
Matthew 21, 12. It says, And Jesus went into the temple and cast out all of them that bought and sold in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased and he said unto them, Hearest, and they said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yes, yea, have you never read out of the mouths and babes of sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. What made the second temple glorious? What made the second temple great? It's because the prince of the temple came to it. That's what makes it great and good and glorious. It's not the beauty of the building. It's the people, the people who are in it. Because the Prince of Peace went to teach in that place. And his presence made it glorious. Listen. Whenever the people whenever the power of the Son of God is manifested, whenever the word of the Son of God is preached, wherever the people of the Son of God are assembled, there the glory is. Even though the world cannot see it, the glory of God is here Today. Why? Because the people of God are here. The word of God is being preached. And the power of the son of God is here right now to save to the uttermost. It's here. And this makes this place glorious. Glorious. Full of the glory of God. Though there's a world who thinks it's just a building. Because they're blind. They can't see. Their eyes they have shut so they will not see. Their ears they have closed so they will not hear. And they do not understand of the glory of God. So we've seen the priority of the building. We've seen the prince of the building. Third point. The purity of the building. Down to verse 10. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month of the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Now he, he poses a question. And he says, Ask now the priests concerning the law. Priests, come on up. You know, experts in the law, I've got a question for you. So they, okay, they came, came up, the priests and the Levites there, these are the people who knew their stuff. And he said, if one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, 
Okay, you know, he's he's carrying something holy, and what he's done is he's he's got his robe and he's carrying it in the robe. Okay. Carrying it in the robe. Okay. And with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy. Okay, so maybe he's carrying the showbread. Right? He's carrying the showbread to the table to put it on there. It's holy. Puts it in his in his cloth and he's carrying it and he touches something else. Does that make the other thing holy? Now, the priests considered this. I think they considered it for all of about two or three seconds and went, no. You can't... Holiness doesn't slide off. It's there. You know, you, you can't make something holy by putting... Take something that's unholy and put something holy next to it and the holiness doesn't sort of crawl across. It doesn't work like that. So they correctly said, no. I said, well done. You've answered correct. Then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? Oh, he said, now let's let's work it back the other way. Let's say we've had someone who's been handling a dead body and they are, by the law, unclean for a certain number of days and they have to wash themselves and change their clothes and do all that sort of stuff. If they're unclean ceremonially and they touch something else, does that become unclean? And they thought... Well, it's pretty clear. Yes, it becomes unclean. And that's what they said. And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. Okay? So we've, we've established a principle here. Holiness doesn't slide across. But sin does. Uncleanness does. does. Pollution does. You ever notice when, when there's... You, you see one of those terrible pictures of a pipe sticking in the ocean and there's pollution coming out of the pipe in the ocean? Does the pollution become clean? No, the ocean becomes polluted. It, it's, a, it, it's not a difficult concept to get a grip on. And then, then answered Haggai and said, So is this people and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. So is every work of their hands that they offer here, it's unclean. What's, what's happened? Well, you see, they'd come and they'd started to build the house like they were supposed to. They'd been told that the glory of God was going to be manifest in that new temple. Great. And then they'd thought to themselves, well, then I don't have to do anything anymore, do I? If I'm in a holy building, I must be holy. If I'm obeying holy rules, I must be holy. If I'm carrying holy things, I must be holy. And God says, no, doesn't work that way. What you need to be doing is living 
a holy life because your heart is holy. Holiness doesn't work from the outside in. It works from the inside out. Just doing stuff doesn't make you holy. Just obeying the law does not make you righteous. Again, to my Bible college students, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 says, And Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Right? It's not what Abraham did that made him righteous. No, it's what he believed. He believed God. God counted to him for righteousness. And then Abraham did righteous things. This world and so much of Christendom has got it backwards. They think doing righteous things gives you a righteous heart. And God saying to these people through Haggai, no, you do righteous things because you have a righteous heart. That's what you need to be understanding. No sooner had these people begun to build the temple than they started to think of themselves as more holy than others. Well, it doesn't work that way. Because righteousness comes from the heart. So we have the priority of the house. We have the prince of the house. We have the need for the purity of the house. There's a little note here right at the end, though. Last verse of the book of Haggai. It says, In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. I have chosen thee. Do you think that election is a doctrine taught in the Old Testament? Oh, yes, it is. God chose Zerubbabel. And he says, one day, I'm going to wear you like a signet ring. I'm going to put you on my hand and show you to the world because you're doing what's want, what I want from a right heart. Oh, there it is. God calling his people. God calls you to serve him first. Why? Because he chose you. God wants you to show his glory. Why? Because he chose you. God wants to be you to be holy. Why? Because he chose you to. John chapter 15 verse 16 reminds us the truth that Jesus said, You didn't choose me. I chose you. 
it's one of the wondrous things that God chose people and still does. There's a little piece of a, a song, it's almost like a poem that I, 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 yeah, I read it once and it's stuck in my mind. And it goes, I sought the Lord and afterwards I knew. He moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It was not I that found, O Saviour true, no. I was found of thee. Have you got your priorities straight? Got your priorities right? Or are you chasing after the things of the world? Maybe you're sick and tired of running in a rat race. Do you know the worst thing about a rat race? Even if you win, you're still a rat. <laughs> but are you sick are you sick and tired of that are you maybe even just sick and tired of being sick and tired consider your ways for there's a God who calls out to you and says come unto me all ye that labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest are you ready to receive the rest of God? Do you look at your life and say, yeah, that's me. I've sown much and brought in little. I eat, but I'm not satisfied. I put on clothes, but I'm not warm. I make wages and the bag's got holes in it. And I want to change. I want out of this. God says, consider your ways. Come unto him now, today. Are you ready to come to God? Are you ready to turn to him instead of turning to your own thoughts, your own ideas and your own solutions? Are you ready to listen to what God has to say to you? Are you ready to meet the God of the house? The pure house, the holy house, the prince of the house. Are you ready to meet him and to live life on his terms? <clears throat> to know for a surety that he will one day wear you like a signet ring and show you to the world because he chose you. So I'll tell you something. He chose you to be here today. He chose you to listen to this message he chose you because he loves you he chose you because he wants you to be part of his kingdom he chose you because he loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you and he wants you to be part of his kingdom and he says come to the house Enter in and know forever that you are part of his kingdom, his people and his time. Thank you.